Thank you for downloading this episode of the 155 Podcast, the public records interview series of all candidates in Hamilton's 2018 municipal election. For more election coverage, visit thepublicrecord.ca where you can sign up for our City Hall newsletter. Episode 66, Jason Allen, running for City Councilor in Ward 1, recorded on September 10th, 2018. Jason Allen, you're running for City Councilor in Ward 1. Welcome to the Public Records, the 155 podcast. Thank you. Firstly, tell us, who is Jason Allen? Who is Jason Allen? So I am a father of two, a husband of 25 years, and a resident of Ward 1 since about 2005. I've been working in the transit industry professionally for the past almost a decade, and I am a lifelong volunteer and uh, dedicated to community service. Why are you running? I'm running because I have been committed to this ward for a long time in terms of the volunteering I've done and the community service I've done. I see that there are a lot of opportunities to improve things in the ward and to reinforce the good things that are already there. I've knocked on an awful lot of doors now, and I knocked on an awful lot of doors in 2014. And one thing I heard from an awful lot of people is, we live in a great neighborhood. Let's not mess it up. And so part of my commitment to the people of Ward 1 is to take what's working well and enhance it and to, to take what's not working and, and fix it and repair it. Do you live in Ward 1, yes or no? Yes. Does it matter if one lives in the community one seeks to represent? Uh, it absolutely matters if you live in the area you seek to represent. I think that having lived in the ward pretty much since I arrived in Hamilton in 2005, gotten to know the issues, got to know the people, got to know the players. There have been moments in the last term of office where I was aware of handshake agreements that existed between developer and the previous counselor that the current counselor wasn't aware of. And so just having the depth of knowledge and understanding of the issues in the ward and having been involved for so long, you can't get that living outside the ward. You can't get that from parachuting in. How have you contributed to your community and our city? Oh my goodness. So I have uh, moved here in 2005, like I said, and shortly after my second child was born and he was diagnosed within a couple of days with having Down syndrome. So I responded to that the way I respond to pretty much everything, which was how do I volunteer to fix this or to make the situation better, and joined the Down Syndrome Association of Hamilton, where I sat for six years, including two years as president. Shortly after, we moved to Strathcona, from where we were in Kirkendall, and uh, I joined the Strathcona Community Council, where I joined that for a year or two of work on promoting events and helping run events, and got to see the tail end of the Victoria Park Master Plan and participate in the last part of the Strathcona secondary plan, which is a really free urban policy wonk that was pretty exciting. So got to participate in that. Shortly after that, I realized that my oldest was going to be going to Earl Kitchener, and there was no way I was going to have him walk on his own across down Dundurn, across King and Maine. So we relocated to Kirkendall, moved about eight blocks. And shortly after that, around that time, I joined the Participatory Budget Advisory Committee for the Forward One process. First, I was one of Strathcona's reps, and then I was a Kirkendall rep. And the election came around, and I uh, did that for oh, close to a year. It was, uh, it was Back then, the process was different, so I declared sort of a January 2nd and went right up until October 26th, I think it was. In that time, I took a step back from PBAC and then joined the Kirkendall Neighborhood Association on their executive, running communications for a year or so. And around that time, I also sat on the Kirkendall Neighborhood Association's Development Review Committee for a couple of years, which was really, really interesting in terms of understanding how development works or sometimes doesn't in Ward 1. And then I ended it off the last couple of years with uh, sitting on the KNA's Neighborhood Plan Committee, which is an effort to develop a neighborhood plan for Kirkendall. We've been told by the city we're not eligible for a secondary plan like Strathcona has. 
So the next best thing is a neighborhood plan. And throughout all of that time, uh, much of it for the last seven or eight years, I've been a scout leader with the 47th Hamilton Scout Group, uh, first for the little kids and now for the older group. So that's sort of a, a resume. Things I'm most proud of in contributing to the ward, I was I like to feel like I had a big role in getting the funding for the Dream at Coots Paradise Natural Playground. I also played a big role in, uh, in fact, I consider myself largely responsible for the, the pedestrian crosslight at Hunter and Locke. I was on B-Back at the time and argued very forcefully for that. And I've also done an awful lot over the years as kind of a go-between for citizens and City Hall. After Brian was gone, a lot of people didn't really know the lay of the land with Aiden and what to expect. So I spent a lot of time in the last four years with people coming to me, citizens, friends, neighbors, saying, hey, this situation has come up. What do we do without it? And the process I've managed to help get work done on the HAAA splash pad and get speed humps on streets and deal with parking issues and just have been kind of like a citizen advocate for neighbors. What are your two priorities for Ward 1 and two priorities for Hamilton as a whole? So two priorities for Ward 1 are, I like to think that Ward 1 in a lot of ways is kind of almost too many wards. You've got Strathcona and Kirkendall on one side of the 403 and Ainsleywood and Westdale with an, an often very set of different set of issues on the other side. So if I were to pick one for each side of the 403, I would say in on the east side, on in Kirkendall and Strathcona, the big issue I'm hearing about and my big priority will be around traffic calming. So there's a lot of issue with drivers cutting through streets and uh, on their way to somewhere else. People who don't live in the neighborhood but are cutting through. We have a lot of issues with speeding drivers, and we had, unfortunately, a really awful fatality there a couple of weeks ago with the father of a very dear neighbor uh, who passed away in, in an accident on the corner of Queen and Maine. So traffic calming and traffic safety are a huge priority for me on that side of the 403. On the other side, we don't hear it as much because it's more of a sort of a suburban built form and the streets are not sort of as convenient for cutting through. But what I hear, of course, on the other side of the 403 is the perennial concern about single family homes being converted to student rentals. And it's still ongoing. It's not only is it still happening, but it's it's happening sort of to worse and worse characters who are buying these homes. So I was on a street in Ainsleywood the other day and it was described to me the landlord who purchased three or four homes within a several block radius of the street. And one of them was so derelict that it had bylaw enforcement stickers on the, in the front door and the whole thing. So it's a priority of me to address that. And the way I plan to do it is via a neighborhood-specific rental licensing bylaw. So we know that when Brian McCaddy tried to implement a rental licensing bylaw in 2014, it was not successful in large measure because of concerns around the impact it would have for people living in low-income situations who would have those licensing costs passed on to them and would then possibly end up being able to not afford their homes anymore. It was a very valid concern, and I supported it. At the time, I think that if we were moved to a neighborhood-specific model, such as they have in Oshawa and Waterloo and Kingston, that addresses that concern in a very tight geographical area, we can move to address the concerns around bylaw compliance, inspection, and just the conversion themselves of these single-family homes into rental units and slowing that process down. We can address it in a way that doesn't impact people across the city. My two priorities for the city... One is similar to one of my priorities for the ward, which is traffic calming. We have some very, very deadly streets in Hamilton, especially in the lower city. Uh, and we have a bit of a cavalier attitude towards those deaths. I think a Vision Zero program is very much in order. I look on with horror and see that cities, that utterly car-dependent cities like Los Angeles, have a city-funded Vision Zero process in place. And I wonder why we can't do it here. I know New York has been hugely successful, and it's a hot topic in, in Toronto right now as well. I think it, it's time to take a serious look at the cost both societal and otherwise, to us of having freeways running through the center of our city and deal with that. And the other priority would be around the whole public consultation piece. And I think that 
city right now does not a great job, in fact, a very poor job of consulting with its citizens around initiatives and what it plans to do, uh, barring the whole uh, Vision 2024 process that was the the big public consultation they did. I felt that was pretty effective and had some good results. But it's on the little things that the consultation process ends up being a couple of public info centers and an online survey, and it's not a meaningful way to gather input from people on what's important to them. And I'm a big believer in improving that. I've written quite a bit about it in The Spectator and other places, but I'm a big believer in improving that public consultation process. What are three skills you will bring to elected office that make you the best choice to represent Hamiltonians on city council? So three skills for one would be, uh, I'm a good listener, and I like to hear what people have to say. I like to take people's opinions and to uh, and to formulate them into policy and, and to, to understand what's important to them. Second thing I think I'm very good at is uh, I navigated the waters of a complex provincial bureaucracy and highly politically charged waters for about seven years. So I have experience working in large complex bureaucracies in highly politically charged environments. And I think that's another thing I would bring to the table. And the third thing is a commitment to, I want to say customer service, because I think that's sort of the best way to describe it, but a commitment to to serving the public and to helping people get their problems solved and navigating the complex waters of City Hall that way. So, Hamilton zoning regulations prevent the building of multi-unit clustered housing, which is in scale with existing single-family housing, commonly referred to as the missing middle. There are approximately 100,000 Hamiltonians in their 20s and approximately 140,000 Hamiltonians over the age of 65. The missing middle is medium-density transit-connected housing in walkable communities, as important to young renters, first-time owners, and critical for seniors seeking to successfully age in place in the communities they've lived for decades. As a member of City Council, you will need to address housing challenges in Hamilton. You will face opposition to infill development and provincially mandated intensification. How will you respond to concerns about development, and where do you believe mid-density growth should occur in your ward? So regardless of whether or not Hamilton zoning laws outlaw it, we see it all the time uh, in our neighborhoods. Kirkendall, Ainsley Woods, Strathcona, and Westdale, we see zoning variances being given out all the time for properties that ostensibly meet, match the built form of the rest of the neighborhood and increase density somewhat in the neighborhood. I'm supportive of this as long as it's done in a way that's respectful of the neighborhood around it. What I would far rather see is an increase in mid-rise development along our major corridors. And by that, I mean Main Street, King Street, Dundurn, places like that where I think we have an opportunity to build higher density mid-rise development in a way that meets the needs of folks who are looking to rent and not looking to buy just yet. And we can incentivize developers to do that kind of thing. And we can also put in place some tools for increasing affordable housing as well by incentivizing and encouraging good mid-rise development that matches with the, the nature of the ward. Town and gown tensions, a phrase coined by academics, are nearly as old as universities themselves. In one of the most famous examples, a three-day riot in Oxford resulted in 62 students and nearly as many townspeople dead in the year 1355. The Scholastica Day riot broke out after a dispute about beer in a local tavern. Luckily, town and gown conflicts today are much tamer and involve much more substantive issues. As the Ward 1 Councillor, you will be responsible for representing both town and gown. How will you effectively represent both and successfully mediate to create solutions which balance both interests? I think a big part of it is the old saw that 80% of success is just showing up. And I know that as much as I love Aiden and think he did a great job, he has been conspicuously absent. 
from both PACR meetings, which is the University President's Advisory Committee on Community Relations, and from Ainsleywood Westdale Community Association meetings for the last couple of years. So I think a big part of that is showing up and like the skill I described earlier, listening carefully to resident concerns and balancing those against the needs of the university. So I think a big part of that is, is being present and paying close attention to the issues going on in that part of the ward and, and just being there. What are two changes you will propose to improve city services? I have a lot of ideas about transit. <laughs> so as I'm sure you can imagine being in the transit industry for the last 10 years. But I would love to see area rating removed for public transit so that we can create a better transit system in the less dense parts of the city. That said, I do not believe that removing area rating for transit is a magic bullet that will fix transit in those parts of the city. I think if we run empty 40-foot buses up and down Barton Street in Winona, we create an entirely different problem. This time it's a public relations problem. So I'd like to see some creative application of things like microtransit and on-demand transit services in those neighborhoods, like they're kind of like they're doing in York Region or in town cities like Airdrie, Alberta, to enhance that sort of thing. The second thing I'm really, really concerned about is stormwater management and how a job we do that. I'm friends with John Terpstra, and he's about to release a book called Daylighting Chidoke about the tragedy of Chidoke Creek and the waterway and, and what goes into it on a regular basis. And I would I'd love to see some concerted, I would support and would, would work towards some concerted effort on cleaning up our stormwater system so that stormwater goes where it's supposed to go and unfortunately sewage goes where it's supposed to go and not, not into Coots Paradise. And I think a big part of that is to implement a stormwater management fee for builders and developers who have large parking lots uh, and are creating a lot of stormwater runoff. What are two changes you will propose to improve quality of life in Hamilton? Improving transit for one. I think it does a number of things. One, if you're insisting on being a driver, better transit pulls other cars off the road. And if you are not able to drive, then transit gives you a means of getting around to work and to school and to other amenities. I'm a big proponent of LRT, 100% in favor. And I think I will work very, very hard to make sure that that's implemented and implemented in a smart way. So the second piece is around affordable housing. There are currently about 30-odd developments that are being proposed for along the LRT corridor right now. High-density towers, both apartments and condos. And at this point, nobody is talking about enforcing an inclusionary zoning rule on those properties to make sure that affordable housing is part of the mix for those properties. I think we kind of dropped the ball with the PR8 development in terms of what we could be doing. And I would very much like to see that affordable housing be part of the process for along the LRT corridor. So we basically don't end up gentrifying a swath of city down the middle of down King Street and Main Street, but can make sure it's a city that's available to everyone. Hamilton City Council decided against ranked balloting. Ranked balloting enables voters to choose by prioritizing candidates, such as the top three, they feel qualified for public office and best able to represent them. What is your position on ranked ballots? I support ranked ballots, and I like to joke that had I been, uh, had there been ranked ballots in place in 2014, I would likely be the counselor at this point, as I was, was a lot of people's second choice in that election. I'm uh, grateful for them speaking out now and saying that I'm their first choice. How will you improve civic governance and engagement during the next four years? Well, I've beaten the drum already a few times around public consultation. And those of you who follow my writing, The Spectator, I've spoken about this quite a bit over the last four or five years about how uh, public consultation in Hamilton has broken down. And we need to do a better job of engaging citizens in participating in decision making and understanding what the issues are. The other big thing for me is about communication. And I think we, as a city, don't do a very good job of communicating in an effective way to citizens what some of the benefits are of some of the decisions being made. And a good example of that is LRT. We haven't really done much selling of LRT to the public about understanding what the benefits of are. And as a result, that vacuum has been filled by people spreading a lot of misinformation. So 
definitely about communication and better consultation. How will the City of Hamilton's strategic plan guide your decision-making in hiring a new city manager, and what qualities do you seek in a new city manager? For me, the uh, the strategic plan, I think, is, is important in guiding that process, and I think as a city, everything we do should be going back and looking at that strategic plan and done in the context of that strategic plan. I think the qualities I would be looking for in a a leader would be one who is comfortable and experienced in change management. I think we need to have a cultural shift at City Hall away from the silos that are in place now and away from the towards rather a process where citizens and serving the citizens is the the main priority. I was previous job I was part of a a multi-year change management process where we went through going from being operationally focused to being customer service focused and that's the kind of thing I'd like to see the new city manager do at City Hall. Politics is the art of allocating limited resources and compromising to find solutions. How will you do so? Like I said earlier, I have navigated a fairly political waters when I worked at a previous role for seven years in the public service. And I think there is a element of horse trading that needs to go on around the council table, an element of negotiation that needs to happen. And I've always been a strong negotiator. I've always been one who was good at making a strong argument, a strong case for the concerns of, in this case, it would be Ward 1 but also understanding that there's a bigger city governance issue at play, and sometimes you need to step back and look at the big picture. It's 2022. The public record is writing a review of the four-year council term that is just ending. What three words do you hope we will use to describe your term on council? What three words do you hope will describe council as a whole? Three words I hope you'd use for me would be, we recommend re-election. <laughs> and uh, the three words that I would hope you'd use about council would be, what a relief. Thank you. That's the end of the prepared questions you were sent in advance. Do you have any closing remarks that you wish to share? I only want to just share briefly about one thing is that there's been a lot of discussion in this campaign about the vision for the city and, and the vision for the ward and a lot of discussion about high-level sort of vision for things. And I think that's really, really important, but it's only 50% of a counselor's job. And I think we also need to be focusing on candidates who understand the nuts and bolts of making a city work well. And it's often, it's the little details that lead to fulfilling that vision. And if you're not taking care of those little details, you're going to be in trouble. And that's the, the kind of full picture candidate that I believe I am. Thank you for joining us today. I wish to thank the Dundas branch of the Hamilton Public Library for the use of their digital media lab where we recorded this podcast. This has been episode 66 of the Public Records, the 155 podcast. The Public Record is Hamilton's local, independent, reader-funded news outlet. This podcast is made possible by members of the Public Records Press Club. Visit thepublicrecord.ca to learn more and listen to all episodes of the 155 podcast. Sign up for our newsletter and stay informed. The Public Record is a member of the National News Media Council, a voluntary self-regulatory organization that deals with journalistic practices and ethical behavior. To learn more about the Media Council, visit the Media Council at mediacouncil.ca. Thank you for listening. See you at the polls on October 22nd.